Puppies in danger, a woman obsessed with fur, dogs networking all over London, all this can only mean one thing. We're comparing 101 Dalmatians on this episode of Retro vs. Remake. Hey, I'm Reggie Parker. And I'm Dan Bulick. Welcome to another episode of Retro vs. Remake. remake. Uh, the podcast where we discuss films and their remakes. So join us as we explore the question, should this remake exist? Today's episode is 101 Dalmatians. So the first film was made in 1961, starring Rod Taylor, Kate Bauer, Betty Lou Gerson, Frederick Warlock, and J. Pat O'Malley. Directed by Wolfgang Reithman, Hamilton Lusk, and Clyde Jeronimi. Written by Bill Pete, and music by George Burns. Now, the director, the writer, and the composer, they've all worked in a lot of Disney films over the years. Like, they've worked on Pinocchio, Peter Pan, Jungle Book, Aristocats, which we actually see a little bit in the remake. And then we have the 101 Dalmatians from 1996. Starring Glenn Close, Jeff Daniels, Jolie Richardson, Hugh Laurie, and Mark Williams. Directed by Stephen Herrick. Some of the things he's made, some of my favorite movies. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, and The Mighty Ducks. And it was written by John Hughes. He, wrote, he did many things, many movies, but most importantly, he wrote the first three Home Alone movies, which will come very heavy in our discussion, I feel. And music by Michael Kamen. Now, I know him from back in the day when Metallica toured with the symphony, and he was the director of that. So, Michael Kamen. Both of these movies are based on Duty Smith's 1956 novel, The 101 Dalmatians. Okay. Reggie, what is your first experience with either film? Okay, I believe the first um, film, just like standard, you know, that thing where like the substitute teachers hung over. Brings a big TV into a room, rolls it in, and there's a movie playing. Um, I definitely saw this as a young kid in school. That was my first experience with the original film. And honestly, because of my age, also the remake uh, definitely was something that I either saw in like school, as some kind of like school event, or you know, out and about with friends. So it's been a while. I'll put it, I'll put it that way. It's been a while since I've seen either film. Me, I have actually never seen either film. Until this podcast. I don't know. Somehow, 101 Dalmatians, both the original and the remake, just fell off my radar. I did not see either film. I knew about both of them, obviously. I mean, they're staples in the Disney archive. But I don't know. I just never saw it. And then I just got older. And then it never appealed to me. And I was like, yeah, I don't need to see the dog movie. I get it. 101 Dalmatians. There's a woman named Cruella DeVille who wants to make coats out of them. I knew. I thought I knew all I needed to know. So. That, I mean, that's still really all you need. To know. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm surprised you didn't uh, catch that at a younger age, but um, no, you know, hey, these things happen. Yeah, my biggest exposure to 101 Dalmatians, I think, was in Kingdom Hearts when you had to find the Dalmatians everywhere. Wow. <laughs> Other wow. than that, didn't know anything about them, didn't know their names or anything. Only knew Cruella DeVille. That was it. Well, we got some different films here. Well, slightly different films. But before we do that, let's go over the synopsis. 
We begin with Bachelor's Roger and his Dalmatian, Pongo. One day, they have a chance meeting with Anita and her Dalmatian, Purdy. They all instantly fall in love, and both humans and Dalmatians get married. Shortly after that, Dalmatian Purdy becomes pregnant. One person who is very excited about this is Cruella DeVille, a woman who loves fur. When the 15 puppies are born, Cruella offers a great sum of money to acquire them, but Roger and Anita turn her down, much to Cruella's dismay. Cruella then hires goons Jasper and Horace to kidnap the pups while Roger and Anita are walking Pongo and Purdy. The pups are then taken to Cruella's old mansion, where they are to be made into clothing for Cruella, along with 84 other kidnapped Dalmatians. Heartbroken parents, Pongo and Purdy, decide to take matters into their own paws. They twilight bark their tale of woe. This barking network goes all across London, getting every dog's attention, and the pups are eventually located. Pongo and Purdy then go to get their children. Meanwhile, Cruella demands that all 99 Dalmatians turn into clothing right away, as the police are getting closer and closer. However, the animals that located the Dalmatians help them escape. After some hijinks, the pups escape from Jasper and Horace, and are reunited with their parents. The journey back home is a difficult one, but animals help them along the way. Cruella meets up with Jasper and Horace and is in hot pursuit of the dogs. After following their trail, the pups are found by Cruella and her goons, but the dogs outsmart them and eventually get away. Later, the dogs all return home and the movie ends with Roger, Anita, and all 101 Dalmatians living happily ever after. Okay, so that was our synopsis. Now let's get into the differences, even though these two films are pretty similar but i guess we should start at the most obvious difference one is a cartoon and one is live action as i was watching it because my fiance was actually interested in this film as opposed to most of the ones we do she was like oh we're about to get hit with a ton of cgi and that, it's actually not the case there's a very limited amount of cgi in the film and the the remake there's just a lot of what must have been very technical really impressive uh, animal work throughout yeah I was excited to watch the remake because it was 1996, and I, I knew it wouldn't be CGI heavy. Um, at that point, I don't think there were many movies that sort of integrated live action with like CGI animals. And um, I looked it up. I think they actually had about over 200 Dalmatians on wow. set. Yeah, so they had their work cut out for them, but I think it worked. I, I liked it. I liked seeing the live animals, and I, I think even if they made it today with CGI animals, I, I don't know if I'd buy it so much, you know? I think that what they ended up doing with this film is unique. Um, just um, appreciation and respect to the director for being able to to work with that many, um, that many animals. And I know we're going to get into differences between characters and things along those natures, but just an early insight for me. I think the animals are doing a lot of the work here in the film, um, and the humans actually almost take a back seat throughout the film. So uh, it's something we'll discuss, but I noticed that early. Oh, yeah. The animals are definitely the stars of the remake, uh, for sure. Just, again, from a technical standpoint, just being able to, you know, tame or get those animals to behave the, the way you want to is just an incredible feat on its own. It's well-deserved praise he gets there for getting all these animals to actually do um, what they needed to do in order to tell the story. Along the lines of talking about telling the story, one other very notable difference is that there's a significant amount of... Um, it's animated, so voiceover isn't really the, the right word, but the animals talk, more or less, at least amongst themselves, in the original film, whereas a lot of the action is implied in the remake, so there, there's no talking animals in the remake 
while they're attempting to tell ultimately the exact same story. So that's another notable difference. Yeah, that was another reason I was looking forward to the remake because the original, we have the animals talking. They have, like you said, they have voiceovers and they talk to each other, all the animals. And I was thinking 1996, again, they don't have the technology they have today to make animals' mouths move and look like they're actually pronouncing the words that they're saying. So I figured there's only really two ways they can go about this in the remake. They either don't have the animals talk and they're able to tell the story some other way, or they kind of do the homeward bound thing where the animals are kind of talking to each other, but they're not really talking. Right. Homeward bound. Great, great film as well. Yeah. And it's in the movie too. They, uh-huh. It's on the TV. So. Yeah. There's some nice references throughout, uh, throughout the film, uh, to other animal based films. <laughs> With that difference, the talking versus the not talking of the animals is going to come into play in our discussion. But I think to truly appreciate that difference, it would be best for us to sort of talk about the differences between the characters. Again, slight differences, but um, I think they they do ultimately change some of the beats in the films. So I think we, we should probably talk about the humans, I guess. We'll start with the humans and then work our way into some of the uh, the, the differences. That being said... Roger, our uh, <laughs> our bachelor. <laughs> Again, knowing that we are going to talk more about the talking, but I do like the little misdirection at the beginning of the film where you believe it's Roger's voice that um, is being heard. It right. ends up being Pongo, and he references that uh, Roger is his pet. The humans are the pets in the original, and Roger's, uh, as Pongo says, an interesting one. He's oh no, he's got his routine. He's a musician. You may have a special place in your heart for. <laughs> That particular profession? Oh, that I did. And particularly because uh, <clears throat> when he writes the Cruella de Vil song, he comes up with the melody first. And then his wife kind of makes fun of him. Oh, that's, that's great lyrics. He's like, melody first, oh, darling. And then the lyrics. I'm like, oh, man, after my own heart. It's exactly how I wrote songs. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I like the animated Roger very much. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you that because um, I wanted to see how accurate that was. Like, if you would have written something in that, that fashion. But, uh, question answered already (laughs) i mean you could write it any way you want to if you do have the words you could put a melody to it but the way i wrote songs always was melody first and then lyrics second yeah roger in the original you know his general vibe to me is kind of like um it's more like understated you know he's a particularly normal guy but maybe because of the um the location of the film a british like straight lace attitude well, well, they're different Rogers, right? I mean, if you want to just get down to the bare bones of it, the original Roger is a British musician, and then the Roger in the remake is an American video game developer. So they're co- coming from completely different backgrounds right off yeah, the bat. Yeah, I agree. So their personalities are going to be very different. That's a good point. Whereas your original Roger, real straight lace, London guy, you know, smokes his pipe. He has a routine. Uh, you know, he's not going to go to the park before a certain time each day. You know, he's got his, he's got his routine. Jeff Daniels in in the remake, I I didn't get it. Because <laughs> I, I was sitting there, um, and again, like I said, I watched it with my fiance. I'm sitting there, and I was thinking, it was like, was Jeff Daniels this popular in '96 <laughs> when it comes to like children's movies? Dumb and like, Dumber I, came out a couple years ago, possible. Yeah, I just he felt so kind of like slapsticky and goofy, but not really in a fun way you know just he didn't seem to fit you know because like they're still in london you know everyone is more or less has like british accents and he's like he doesn't try at all like he's just talking like like, normal american guy like i I don't understand 
what was going on there? I guess I don't really know Jeff Daniels to do accents in movies. So I feel like even if he did a British accent, it would maybe just pull you out of it right away. Like, whoa, what's the guy from Dumb and Dumber doing with a British accent all of a sudden? So I think if you hire Jeff Daniels, you kind of know right away that, okay, he's not going to be British, this lead character. Why they decided to go that way, I'm not exactly sure. I did look it up. The first choice for Roger in the remake was actually Hugh Grant. And just by saying that out loud, I think you realize, oh, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) That That, would have been perfect. That that makes sense. It fits more in line with the original character, the way it was sort of portrayed in the film. I could see Hugh Grant being a bit more sort of like stately, a little more gentlemanly, whereas Jeff Daniels, I don't know, he just kind of comes across as a klutz. He's really hapless throughout the film. I thought that the change making him a video game developer, I I don't know, just had a little bit too much of that 90s tinge to it, you know, when things were kind of like to the max in the extreme. Like, it just didn't feel right. He was a video game developer. The video game clearly looked like something that they were probably trying to market, like once the movie came out, something that we can uh, sell so the kids can play. They've got that kid who's supposed to be like the sort of comedic relief in that scene who's just like, uh, this game sucks, you know? I don't know, it just, it just kind of threw me off. I, I sort of preferred the musician because, you know, things are a little more neat. Uh, we didn't need all the extracurriculars for the character. I like the musician uh, profession better, but I think I understand why they made him uh, something else, like a video game developer. First of all, I can't see Jeff Daniels as a musician. <laughs> and then, second of all, like, the songs that Roger writes in the original cartoon, they're very, like, of the time, right? He kind of made this bluesy, jazzy kind of melody thing. If the Roger in the remake is supposed to be this working musician, do you really think he could make a living off of these old-timey songs? Right? He would no, almost I... have to write modern pop songs. And again, I can't see Jeff Daniels yeah. writing, like, a Spice Girls-type song, you know? it was. I guess it was just done for the time that it was made. <laughs> I don't think Jeff Daniels is believable as a musician, but maybe he's a believable as a game developer. I don't even believe him that much as that. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't, I don't believe him much as that, but I, I could appreciate how he, he does portray being a failure at his job pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> he's really good at that. I believe that. It, and you know, I think, I think you're right that in a film where you're taking out, some of the speaking elements where music played a fairly significant role in the first film. Yeah. You don't want to really dive into like nineties pop, I think in this particular film. So this shift in jobs, actually, I think you're right that it makes sense because you don't have to have a music focused film. The music was more of a background in this particular film than um, some of the bigger moments that you see in the original where like the Corella DeVille song is like a huge moment through, through the film and, um, you know, permeates to it. Whereas here, music, eh, not so much. We're all about the dogs, more puppy. That's what we signed up for. And I really like how they made Roger a musician in order to introduce those songs. Because, you know, those old Disney movies, they're all intertwined with musical numbers. And instead of just everyone breaking out into song in the middle of uh, the story, you just tell, oh, this guy's a musician and here's a song he's writing. Having that as your bookmarks in the beginning and the end of the movie work really well. Totally agree. You know, the other thing, um, just going through our notes and really feeling it. I was watching the film. I also didn't really believe Jeff Daniels as the love interest either. The way he carried himself in 
that sort of preposterously long bike uh, dragging scene. Like the amount of time that he spends getting dragged <laughs> by his dog was ridiculous. And then as, as soon as they were, um, as soon as they were done with that, they immediately put the Anita character <laughs> on a bike to be dragged. And I'm just like, this is crazy. I don't know the the first film. I know it's animated, but like the way the characters are designed and look, I could see like that Roger walking through the park in a bachelorette, as it were, seeing him and being interested. Whereas like Jeff Daniels, fresh off of failure, <laughs> goofily getting dragged around the park, a really kind of crazy slapstick way, ruins. I mean, is ruining things, actually ruining things. Uh, she thinks she's stealing his dog. Like the the amount of like shit that's piling up from, like, Jeff Daniels' character just makes him not seem like a woman would then be interested in going on a date with him, like, immediately following that sequence of events. Yes, wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I was watching the movie with my wife, <laughs> and <laughs> whole, wow, I never heard so much hatred coming from her during the movie. She hated the introduction of Jeff Daniels to Anita in that movie. She didn't understand it. She was just like, I don't. Why would she like him? He's an idiot. He's a, he's like goofy. He's stupid. He tried to steal her dog. Why is she smitten with him? She didn't yeah. understand. She she couldn't wrap her head around it. And I was just like I'm trying to enjoy the movie. But then like I guess the further I watched, I was like, yeah, what? I don't understand how this love story is progressing. Like Anita falls for Roger pretty quickly in the both movies. But I like how they did it in the original. How it was like a disaster. You know. Pongo does the same kind of thing. He pulls them and they both fall in water. And then it's like, she's just like mortified about what's happening. Roger's apologizing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then he pulls out a wet handkerchief and then there's a moment. They have a laugh. There's that little connection. And then that's all the original needed. It was so brief, but you understood because like, this isn't the movie about them. This is about their dogs. Right. So having it be brief like that and just having that little moment was enough. And then in the remake, they draw it out, they drag it out, and then it's just, like, less charming as as it goes on. And you're just, like, scratching your head, like, I'm not seeing any connection at all yeah. between these two. Yeah. Like you mentioned, the charm in the original. Again, you know, these guys, these uh, people have their own, especially given the time, their own societal norms. And for something like that to happen, like, kind of this goofy thing when everyone's so sort of like put together it takes some of the wind out of that um old school british pomp and circumstance so like that experience felt felt natural it felt like a like you mentioned a charming moment this is a good time to note that um sort of the differences in the anitas because i think it ties back in to this meeting in the original anita you really don't get much intro to her other than sort of that play where uh pongo's looking for eligible uh, bachelorettes which i thought was very cool that they had the ladies sort of being represented by the dogs that they had or vice versa and how like the humans matched the dogs which added to that um the sort of dog i guess romance <laughs> as where i didn't think i'd be saying that sentence um the remake however gives you a bit more of an intro to anita you see that she's kind of has this like career sort of professional thing going on uh corella deville basically like works in fashion and Anita works for her. So you kind of get to see that she's a pretty serious professional as well, who like cares about her career before she meets um Roger as uh, played by Jeff Daniels, which actually then added more to the fact that I can't get why these two would date. Um, <laughs> just based on how serious she seemed and how hapless 
he was. Uh, I mean, within the first couple minutes, she, he's like beating the guy up because he's taking the wrong dog. Again, another idiot move, you know? And she carries bricks in her uh, her purse? Well, she said she finds bricks and puts them in her purse. That's fair. And then she said she, she found about three, and he said, oh, that feels about right. That was the only moment I, that I, I laughed was... <laughs> during that whole interaction. I was but like, the, oh, that's funny. You know, you know, the kind of crazy thing, like you said, drawing it out. It's kind of like there's an opportunity there to kind of like get the relationship sort of jump started, mm-hmm. but they they didn't choose to not do it there, and they both kind of like walk away, but they're doing this weird thing where they're sort of like stalking each other as they're leaving the park. Both get on their bikes, and then she ends up in getting dragged around by a bike, and it's just like wow, this is kind of long, you know. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought uh, honestly in the original less less is more. Because ultimately, the movie is not even really about the humans. It's about the, the dogs. Yeah. As maybe rushed as the original introduction of Roger and Anita was, I thought it was enough. And yeah, it is. We just want to get to the dogs. This is a story about the dogs. So I was okay with it. And it was. It had its charming moment. And then, like you said, it's like we're on bikes, we're off bikes, we're back on bikes. Now she's wet. It's like... Oh, so much there that was unnecessary. It, re- it really should have just ended um, yeah. about a third of the way. <laughs> it was at that point, really, um, after she's, like, kind of clocked this guy with the bricks. Like, uh, it was a hard sell for me to believe that she's interested in him. Like, the idea of her kind of, like, wondering where he was going, like, seemed strange. Um, and just the fact that, like, he wasn't picking up on any social cues or like he didn't get the vibe that she liked him at all throughout like that entire experience and even when they're back in like the apartment there's still like a back and forth and just like <laughs> can we can we get to this <laughs> like i'm just confused by I, I don't know like based on our notes and sort of the way jeff daniels came across me i agree that it felt like a bit of a miscast because he just did not seem to fit the character and he didn't really he took me out of it more than he kept me in with uh with the humor you know yeah i could agree to that yeah that whole scene when they're in their apartment and they're just talking this nonsense like well our dogs (laughs) like each other well they don't want to go what are we going to do about it uh, like you said less is more man just the longer they talked the more i was just like oh just pulling my hair out like please and i just want to see the dogs i don't care about your romance that you're forcing down my throat not to beat up on jeff daniels too much i think uh sort of shifting here I, I love the fact that um, they fleshed out the Anita character. I thought that that was a smart choice. I like Jolie Richardson's uh, Anita. I thought that it was a fine performance. I also love that they fleshed out Cruella DeVille instead of just being sort of like this rando, former, like, sweet mate in college. Yeah, it was just <laughs> like a like former that. classmate or something. I, I like the fact that they fleshed out the female characters in the films, like giving Anita some personal agency and having her have her own career was nice. And it also was a great way of introducing this over-the-top Corella DeVille that we get introduced to in the remake. Yeah, I'll say that I really like what the remake did in setting up both of those female characters. I thought it was great to, you know, have their connection be more than just, like, former schoolmates. Like, that Cruella kind of does have this power over Nita as her boss. The threat of Cruella, you know, has more implications than just, oh, I don't want to make my former schoolmate mad. And so it's like, I don't want my boss to be pissed at me because I could get fired, you know? Yeah. So I thought having the relationship be employee and boss just escalated things for them. 
which I appreciated. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. That adding that power dynamic made Corella make more sense. It gave you an insight into her wealth and her influence in town. Like she's a big deal fashion person. The way it's portrayed, you get that. They don't have to say it. You see it on film. And I like that uh I like when movies are able to do that, you know, not beat you over the head with it. And it, it allowed um Glenn Close to really lean into that role. Her eccentric nature fit with sort of the profession that she was in and the like you mentioned the power that she wielded over uh, all these different people the original Corella is um a great character another eccentric character but it it, it comes across as just more random evil <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to uh she likes furs but beyond that in the remake that's her business mm-hmm. she, she's changing like stripes are in this season it's like no 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 what about spots I found that to be interesting, and in a weird way, I know they don't truly dive into this. What caused this initial conflict was actually one of Anita's own designs. She almost, uh, in a way, sort of introduced this this danger into her own life by some of her drawings at work, which I thought was actually a cool dynamic. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I don't know if I have much more to add about their setup. I think you kind of nailed everything yeah. about like their relationships. I honestly, I love what Glenn Close is doing. In the film, it's completely over the top in in a really, really good way. Um, You know, before we we dive too far into her performance, I guess, uh, moving on in the film, you know, um, Roger and Anita get married and you you get another subtle difference between the two films in, in the next sequence where Purdy the dog becomes pregnant in both films, but at the same time in the remake, Anita's pregnant, and you get a funny little beat where they go to the doctor and the vet simultaneously, which I thought was kind of a ridiculous scene, but a, a fun watch. Even with that minor difference, you still get Corella coming back um, and being completely obsessed with the dogs in both films. And I think this is where Glenn Close really starts to sort of break out. You know, Corella DeVille is a definitive character, but Glenn Close, I mean, she, she took the ball and rammed this thing. I don't know if you agree. Before I get to there, let's talk a little bit about that pregnancy. Anita being okay, pregnant? Yeah. What'd you think about that? Um, I don't think that it added to the film. No, um, me neither. <laughs> okay. Because the kid's not really there, you know? Just, I guess, the gestation period of uh, humans and dogs is slightly different. I, I don't know if it comes back into play because I do know uh, this movie was, was for, you know, not to jump too far ahead here, but I know that they kind of went for a sequel angle after this. I don't know if the human baby comes into play there but like it just seems to be an unnecessary addition you know i found it funny that they both kind of like left the doctor at the same time but other than that um it it doesn't doesn't add to anything so it didn't need to happen yeah it didn't need to happen i don't know why they did it maybe like you said maybe they're setting up the sequel but uh, it didn't add anything the baby never affected anything you know the unborn baby all it did was like set up the ending i guess that there might have another kid other than that it just i didn't care i want to i want to see the dogs <laughs> i don't care about your human baby show me the dogs because it didn't do anything and uh because of how recently i'd watched the other film yeah i just i didn't tr- truly care for it like i said i like that one beat but other than that there, there's no reason for it so it, it could have been excluded completely i guess along the same lines you get a bit of a different um dynamic with a character we haven't talked about yet but uh, Nanny, whereas in the original film, how did they afford Nanny? <laughs> like, <laughs> good, um, good question. 
maybe she was just a family loan or something. I don't know. Because they yeah. did not have money. It was uh, very explicitly said that, uh, you know, they they didn't have a lot of money. They, so I thought it was weird that they had a maid. But okay. In, in the remake, I guess Nanny kind of comes along as more of like, to me, it seemed like some sort of family member um, from what I could tell. I guess her presence made more sense given the fact that like there was a kid along the way. So maybe that's why she was pregnant. Because uh, other than that, there's not a real reason to have Nanny there in the remake because she's not really a, a maid, per se. I, yeah, I'm I, not sure. Um, yeah, I thought she was she was the maid in the original, though, wasn't she? She was, like, tidying yeah, up and everything. Yeah, I mean, she was full-on, like, uh, in the outfit, full almost, like, French-maid-type outfit. And, um, yeah, she was tidying up. She clearly, like, worked for them, you know? In the remake, um, not, not so much. I guess she seemed more like a caretaker um, than someone that worked for them. I didn't really remember much of what she did, but she had this speech in the remake when Purdy was pregnant. This really cheesy, look at her face. You could just, you could see it in her face, the love, and it's just, it's a little, a little too much for me, a little too mushy and cheesy for me. Her little, look how lovely she looks when she's pregnant speech. Even my wife was like, oh, this is garbage. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) didn't need it. I... I found the character to be okay. I, I liked I like the nanny characters in both films. Kind of like these uh these tough tough older uh older women who um again a little rough around the edges when when the time comes. But other than that, really, you know, kind of kind of more of a throwaway character, especially in a remake, where there's not much for her to do in that in the film. You know, yeah. I, I think adding that monologue was like you mentioned unnecessary and. It, <laughs> Just felt strange maybe just to give her a line <laughs> just to justify her getting a paycheck i don't know but you know you uh you have the same same sequence in both films where uh purdy has 15 puppies there's a moment where they think they they may have lost one but roger sort of uh brings it back yeah that and bringing it back or just going there i don't know how much you know yeah. about that like i didn't get that in the original and i didn't get it in the remake and i was like this is stupid and then i read it and then the original author, her husband did the same thing to their Dalmatian and brought him back to life kind of like that. So apparently it really happened. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, this seems really fake, but apparently it's what happened to the author's husband. Especially for like a children's film, to sort of kind of like start exploring that seemed a little unnecessary. I mean, it's good that it sort of resolved in a good way. And then you get, I guess, the dog Lucky in both films. But I, I don't know, it just seemed, um, I don't want to say inappropriate, but it seemed a little more um, kind of involved or mature for like a children's film. And it, it, honestly, in the remake, it just felt even more like not necessary. Yeah, yeah. it seemed more like like a fan, fantasy, you know. Like I said, it, I, I didn't think it could happen, but apparently it happened. So I don't know. I'm still not sure if it could actually happen. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. And um and again, to, th- to this point, it's a small moment in the film, but uh, there's not much that Jeff Daniels has done before this moment to make you think that he would have been the one to, like, kind of save the day there. Yeah. yeah. Another moment that, of course, you know, you had it in both films. I guess you had it in the book, but you're right. I, it takes me out of it a little bit. Yeah, just, yeah, again, you know, it just didn't feel like Roger was the the one that was going to save the day there, you know, I just didn't get that vibe from him. Yeah. 
could be Jeff Daniels portrayal. I guess I am going to be ripping into his <laughs> portrayal a little bit here. Uh, one of the things that I think was done better in the original was actually the relationship between Roger and Pongo. That relationship seemed more like buddy buddy. Whereas like I felt on the remake, like Pongo was just almost a burden to Roger a lot of the times, especially in the beginning during that park scene. And I know he kind of was a clever dog and he got him his coffee and woke him up in the middle of the morning but like i never saw any appreciation from roger at all i don't know i guess the cartoon you just roger really i just felt the love roger had for pongo and he was always like so excited for him all the time like when uh purdy's pregnant and he's just like oh my god pongo this is amazing and then like when it's 15 pups you know roger's like to pongo you you old dog you you know he's kind of like egging him on even at the end of the movie when it's like oh now there's uh 99 Dalmatian puppies and then again Roger's just like Pongo you animal yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny little beats you know just between pet and owner and I don't think there were many moments like that between Roger and Pongo in the remake and I missed them you make a good point I mean like as like the puppies are, are being born uh Roger's like shaking hands with, yeah. with Pongo and stuff like that yeah you're right the, their relationship definitely feels more um I don't know, like you said, it's the more buddy buddy, like they feel like true companions. Right. You know? Um Yeah, I I get that uh the dog is, is smart or Pongo is smart in the remake, but even the intro to him is so different. Like they've got this like almost weird Rube Goldberg machine <laughs> where like a, a freaking alarm clock hits Pongo in the head, I guess, every day <laughs> to like start a sequence of events that basically just ends with like Jeff Daniels, like, taking a shower and getting, like, toast. You know what I mean? Like, it just, <laughs> like you're right. Like, all, this dog's doing all this crazy stuff to, like, make this human's life better or easier. And there's, just, like you said, there's no appreciation for it. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah, hey, what's up, Pongo? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's totally one way. Is is it the Jeff Daniels effect or what's, what's truly kind of causing us to not see that kind of buddy-buddy relationship between it? Uh, man and his dog you know that's kind of like a classic portrayal so it's strange that the mark is missed so hard um in this remake there you know it could be a number of things it could be part of jeff daniels it could be also you know you got the live action dog instead of the animated dog which will do whatever you want so you don't know if uh jeff daniels was able to bond with the dog maybe he wasn't and uh, he just couldn't get those emotions uh through either one of them but Or it just could have been the writing. It just wasn't written to show their relationship more. It was just to focus on, I guess, the puppies more than having their relationship grow or anything. You know, you you do often find in, like, films like this um, that you also have very likely that there were multiple dogs involved in um, these scenes. Um, So that could sort of take away from it seeming like there was a bonding because you're not necessarily working with the same um, animal when you're talking about practically shooting those types of scenes yeah 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 that's true like i said there was over 200 dogs so who knows how many pongos there were but i still think they could have written more just for the two of them so they could have more moments together they didn't really have anything except for when purdy was giving birth um i feel like they could have had just a couple more little hey buddy (laughs) a couple more hey buddies yeah that i think that that truly would have helped and you know it's another one of those situations where you don't have the same insight into obviously into the mind of pongo 
as you do in the original where Pongo is your narrator. Mm-hmm. You don't like Pongo explicitly talks about his human and like his relationship with uh, Roger, the pet, as it were. So you, you kind of miss that element in the film. You know, I guess it's trying to show you that that bond to a certain extent, but it doesn't capture it the same way. No. And I definitely felt like when Roger denied Cruella the puppies in the original, like he was looking out for Pongo's best interest. But I just, because I didn't see the relationship as tight in the remake, I just, I guess I didn't buy Jeff Daniels saying, no, we don't, we don't want your money. It's like, I feel like man, you're a failure. I think you would take that money. Yeah. yeah agreed. Um, you don't feel that same connection. So it doesn't ring as a, uh as true when he sort of shuts it down, shuts down the whole Corella thing. Did, did you find the price point of $7,500 to be um, a little low for 15, um, like purebred Dalmatians? Yeah. In 1996. Yeah. Well, it was pounds. I don't know what the, Oh yeah. True. Pounds sterling. <laughs> I don't know what the exchange rate was in 96, but it definitely seems like a low number and almost like an odd number. 7,500. I think it would just be like 10,000. Even, right? Yeah. Nice even number. I, I think that the original, by not seeing the check... Um, yeah. Your you, imagination you have, just kind of ran wild with it. It's like, oh my god, how much money are they getting? Right. How rich is this lady? Whereas, like, now that we've introduced the fact that this is, like, a famous, <laughs> popular fashion designer, 7500 for an employee as well, that just seems, a little to me, a little low. Maybe I don't know anything about dog breeding, but it seemed... Like a small enough number that like, yeah, hey, get out of here, lady. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and not only like, do you not see it in the original, but she says, oh, fine, I'll even double it. So this imaginary number, she doubles it in the in the cartoon. She's right. like, what? What is this number? I need to know. In, in my head, it was like a preposterous amount of money. Like it was enough yeah. to like buy a new house. Yeah, it was six figures in my head. <laughs> yeah. You know, whereas like, all right, 7,500. Like, <laughs> like, you know, obviously... Nothing to scoff at, but like I'm sitting there and uh, I'm just like, well, I don't even know if I would sell <laughs> the dogs at that price point. Like, what's going on here, man? Yeah, you're um, right. Making her this fashion mogul, she she's got money to burn, and she's a little skimpy there <laughs> with the checks. Right? But maybe maybe uh, maybe that was a choice because uh, it, like the Glenn Close, her her take is so personally, I love it. I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I thought she was great. Well worth the price of admission. Well, we're gonna have to disagree, Reggie. <laughs> we oh, are gonna, no. We are gonna have to disagree. I couldn't stand it, man. I liked it at first. Like I said, I liked the setup. You made her Anita's boss. You gave her this fashion empire. You gave her more of a reason to kind of look the way she looks and almost almost act the way she's acting. And I liked her in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. I liked uh just hearing Glenn Close have this like really high kind of stingy kind of voice. Yeah. And uh, she just turned into a Batman villain for me, a Schumacher Batman villain. And uh, I was just like, oh, no, I can't do this. She this, laughed the evil laugh uh, way too much. I was just like, this, you don't have to do the evil laugh after you say everything. We get it. You're evil. It's too, it was too over the top for me. It was just too much, man. That's sort of like moonlit sequence where she like basically becomes a silhouette. I know. Like she's. It's just like at a ridiculous angles with her body and laughing. You know what? 
I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you go by all means be a fan. I'm just trying to explain why it didn't work for me. Like uh, going back to that scene, I think uh, she was like, and I'm going to be wearing Anita's puppies. And then she breaks out into like evil laughter. It was like, oh my God, it's so over the top. It's like, we, we get it. You don't have to do this. It, you, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, I just yeah. feel like <sighs> it could have been done differently where she was just like, well, I have to kill a few hundred puppies, but that's what I got to do for fashion. Like she could have just underplayed it a little bit, pulled back on the laughter a little bit. And you know, she's like later in the movie, she's about to kill one of the puppies in the barn. I'm getting ahead here, but, and then she's like, I love the sound of things near their extinction. She says that to herself. Like, come on, man. (laughs) What are you doing? You're right. She, she does. uh, She lays it on pretty thick. The, the cackles, come uh often uh often throughout the film it's like half her dialogue evil laughter oh for for sure i would say yeah at least half of the dialogue is evil laughter um it's interesting when you look at sort of um the advertising for the film she's like the villain but also sort of the main sort of selling point of the movie which i i think is um kind of strange don't you think yeah i think i remember the trailers back in the day and there was an awful lot of going close there i think yeah. it was just like look we got a really serious actor to portray this live action version of our old cartoon character you get a couple of serious actors in there um i was very shocked to see hugh laurie hugh um, laurie is jasper jasper do we oh, want to go there talk about uh jasper and horse yeah, uh, is there anything that we want to finish up with uh, Glenn Close on? Um, um, I, I like that. I like that we disagree. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine disagreeing with you, but didn't do it for me. Um, every time she was on screen, I was, and I was really rooting for her too. I'm like, she's gonna hold back, right? She's just gonna give me a normal portrayal, right? But every time was just over the top, chewing up the scenery, and I couldn't get on board with her portrayal. Sorry, Reggie. Sorry, nice. man. Yeah. I- I personally have a cackle meter in my house. <laughs> I, I love a good, just campy, over-the-top um, person. I think I find that it, when it comes to, like, extreme, um, like, extreme and, like, fully committing to just these ridiculous things, I found that uh, it seems to be the case that I tend to prefer that, where you, you would prefer it to, uh, to scale back, because uh, I was actually thinking about our Italian job episode, and I was like, I love all this slapstick <laughs> British crap. <laughs> like, maybe maybe less. Well, I think part of it is um, because you're doing it live action, I think the reason you do it live action is to sort of make it more real, right? And I think that's, that's one of the selling points of the remake. This is more real, and that's why you make the animals not talk, because this is more real. And then you have this performance, which is nothing but cartoony. So that took me immediately out of every scene she was in she would have been perfect in batman and robin i'm just saying (laughs) you're right like it did give me a bit of that vibe um like you said some of the ways she was shot she's got the uh the two-tone hair yeah um a lot of dutch tilts (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're right she would have fit right into like a schumacher film uh she would definitely could have uh chewed up scenery in a batman movie she just happened to be chewing up scenery in a 101 Dalmatians <laughs> remake. But yeah, I guess we, we brought it up, but we should talk about it. And I think it you sort of alluded to it earlier when you were talking about John Hughes. <laughs> the the Horace and Jasper, Hugh Laurie as, as Jasper. 
man, I I don't know about you, but I had I had a lot of fun with that. He's such he's such a um a serious and respected actor. It was interesting to see him in this uh this role as kind of like a, a goon. I liked his portrayal to a point. There's a point in the movie where they lost me with all the criminals. I guess we'll get to that later. I think you know what I'm alluding to. But I liked this portrayal because it was very kind of reserved. It was what I wanted Glenn Close to do. You know, he was an evil villain, but he wasn't maniacally laughing. You know, he wasn't just spouting out this random evil stuff to make you think he was evil. You know, he just did his thing and you knew he was a villain and he played off of Horace well and I thought he did fine. I had absolutely no problem with him. Till that certain point in the movie, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Hughes, Hughes, Jasper is to a point, as you mentioned, uh, more or less calm and collected. He comes across as like a um, career criminal, like he seems, you know, sort of adequate at his job. Like I like that element to him, and it really helped with those horror scenes where Horace knows what's going on, but it, because he's supposed to be kind of like the dumb one, nobody believes him. And I think that like the way Hugh Laurie portrays it actually made those moments feel real to me. Love him. I even like when he's, uh, you know, beating up an old lady. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, I had no uh, problem with the way that the, I guess the kidnapping of the dog seemed staged a little bit differently in the remake. Instead of pretending they were electricians, they just bust right in and yeah. just go to steal those dogs. And then we get a uh, nanny fighting Horace and Jasper a little bit. And yeah, they uh, they beat on that old lady a little bit, shoved her in yeah, that closet. Yeah, they push her around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's always a bit tougher to try to portray in a live action film um, two grown men uh, <laughs> uh, roughing up an old woman. But um, like you said, I, I liked the criminals um, to a to a point. I think you you bring up yeah. an excellent <laughs> an excellent point, as it were. Uh, you know, but I did miss one thing. I missed that they didn't have uh, that TV show, What's My Crime, in the remake. I love that. Um, <laughs> you know, because at first it is just sort of like background noise, uh-huh. at What's My Crime, but then when... When, they, when they're one like, of their buddies is there. <laughs> just so funny. Like, I forget the term because it's a little British, but basically like when the woman asks if like they basically killed somebody, like, <laughs> hey, did you like off somebody? And it's like, no, of course not. <laughs> I, I thought that was funny. What's my crime? Good pull, man. Yeah, but I I like their portrayals for the most part. Yeah. Should we but get it, into <laughs> the part of the movie where I didn't like their portrayals? Yeah, I want to hear. I want to hear what's uh, what's got you irked about <laughs> the villains. <laughs> I mean, they were great. Like you, like I said, uh, he was pretty reserved, but he was still a villain and uh, played off of Horace really well, you know. And then it was you know it was Horace and Jasper, and they were great. And then they became Harry and Marv in Home Alone 3. And then they <laughs> lost me. They lost me completely. Especially since you set up Hugh Laurie. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's pretty intimidating and kind of badass. And then now he's going to be doing all these Home Alone type gags. Isn't that great? No, no, it's not great. No, it's not great at all. No, exactly. Like, um, at first, they, they, they're sort of their own characters. But then you're right. It just becomes... Just these Home Alone prank after Home Alone prank. Um, eh. It was literally a Harry and Marv ripoff because you had he looks like Marv, you know, especially after he got electrocuted and his hair is like froed up and he's got the beard. He looks like a second rate Marv. 
And then the horse has a hat, like Harry always had a hat on. It was <laughs> a ripoff of Harry Marv. It was Home Alone 3 in yeah, 101 Dalmatians. Home like Alone a... 3 does not belong in 101 Dalmatians. You are very right, sir. It's just, it, it got to be, it got to be a bit much in it. In it. You're just looking at it like, hey, I've seen this before. <laughs> and, and not only have I seen it before, I've seen it done better. Yes. You know? And that's the thing, because they, yes, they're more or less the main arm of the villain, but they, they're they not really set up to be that integral a part of the film. You know, right. like, like Harry and Marv, like there is a lot of, you know, foreshadowing that happens in those Home Alone movies. Uh, the Wet Bandits, they have their own sort of um, lore and then you just have these two guys, like you mentioned, Hugh, Hugh Laurie, seemingly rational, competent guy, just devolves into yeah. a complete idiot. Very much grounded in reality, and then all of a sudden, well, again, just becomes this cartoon character. Uh, what did you do, John Hughes? Why? Why did you think we wanted this? Hey, man, it's been working so far for him. You know, <laughs> thinking, hey, this is uh, this is probably why I was hired. Let's uh, give the kids what what they want. It doesn't work the same. No, it doesn't work the same. And I don't even know if it would have worked if it was just the main villain because the same kind of situations happen to Gun Close's character when she's in the barn. Uh, all this uh, wacky yeah. stuff happens to her. She gets kicked by a door from the horse and she falls into molasses. And isn't this crazy? Uh, I, it really took me out of the film. Like I said, one of the reasons I was liking the remake was because it was grounded in reality. You don't have these dogs talking. You know, it's live action, and then it just becomes this spoof of Home Alone. It's not not even Home Alone. I, I don't know. It was just really bad Home Alone. Yeah. All these, like, four set pieces. Yeah, it wasn't even know. like the animals set it up. Like, sometimes it was just an accident. Like, the, he just fell through the floor at one time, Horace, or Jasper. Jasper just fell through the floor randomly and fell onto a pool table randomly and then slid down that pool table randomly and got pinned to the pool table by a bull's head randomly. It was totally yeah. forced. Yeah. And especially in this situation, you know, they, they talk kind of, um, they're, they're fairly violent guys, you know, like they're ready to like mess these dogs up. They're like, ready they're to just... beat them to death with a table, uh, an arm of a table and like, what do they the, call the, the fireplace the poker, thing? Yeah. The fireplace poker thing. I, and again, at this point I'm still on board with the characters. Cause like, the way Hugh Laurie does it, he's just like, oh, that's done. Yeah, Let me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's get to killing these dogs. <laughs> yeah, that was a it, funny beat there. And then the guy flips the table over and breaks one of the legs off. It's like, okay, here we go. This is These guys doing their thing, their Jasper and Horace thing. Surely they're going to keep going in this direction with these two characters. I did yeah. not see that coming. Yeah, if, if they would have sort of stuck with that... Um, that menacing sort of vibe while, you know, of course the animals are still getting away. I think it would have served the film better that you could have made it more, not like, not like a horror film, but you know what I mean? Like you could have had it be more like, Oh no, what's they're getting closer, you know, making that yeah. the, the threat as opposed to now they're slipping and sliding all over <laughs> the place. And, and woo, <laughs> you know, it just didn't fit. You're right. It didn't fit the, uh, the film. Yeah. You could have just had the animals outsmarting them. You didn't have to have these slapstick gags happening to them. I mean, for God's sake, like I keep saying, it was supposed to be, I thought it was supposed to be ground in reality. Horace freezes. He literally comes out of cold water and freezes like an, like a statue or something. 
And I'm just like, what are they doing? Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Yeah. And you don't, you don't get, obviously you don't get that um, from the original film. I mean, the closest thing. You wouldn't thing even is, put that in Home Alone. I mean, it's yeah. not real. It's what, what are they doing? You're right. You're right. I mean, the closest thing you get in the original film is the, the, uh, the horses kind of like kicking them uh, across the barn. Like that's, that's about it when it comes to those guys getting um Yeah. Dogs beat up. bite them in the butt a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And actually uh the original film, which I know you couldn't tr- truly do the same way, Pongo and Purdy uh really give those guys the business. I mean, hey, uh, you messed with their kids. Uh, yeah. which was one thing I missed in the remake that Pongo and Purdy weren't there to help liberate them from the mansion. But because yeah. I, I really liked seeing mom and dad kick a little bit of ass you know don't don't mess with our kids this is what you get yeah i'm gonna bite you and then like i like how the scenery everything's red and like intense yeah and you don't get that at all in the remake you get home alone three right homeward alone bound (laughs) (laughs) alone bound dalmatians yeah uh one thing that i will say i kind of along these lines of talking about the liberation stuff because the voice acting is uh taken out of the film a lot of the uh, the actual details, uh, for instance, the Twilight Bark, are missing here. Mm-hmm. Um, you still more or less get that there's a, the dogs are communicating with each other across like long distances. But I, I did like the explanation of what the Twilight Bark was. I did like that you had these characters that were like sort of like military figures, like the Colonel and Sergeant Tibbs. Like the those bits that happen, um, those jokes aren't really available in the remake. Um, Definitely doesn't break anything, but I did sort of miss really hearing the details of how hmm. the Twilight Park worked. But, you know, if you were familiar with the original film, you didn't need it. But um, I, I did sort of miss that between films. I thought it was OK what they did in the remake. Again, you're making it this realistic film. So obviously the animals can't talk to each other. But, you know, we did see the like, dogs barking at each other, even like dogs barking at horses neighing. So you do get like, I guess, a colonel like figure but i thought they did it really well and that was one of the things i was looking forward to the remake was like how are they gonna convey these things that are done with dialogue and voiceovers um just by having animals bark and i thought it was done really well and i was impressed and i even liked the remake how it was like many animals that went to save the pups instead of just uh, tibbs the cat because yeah for some reason that, that always that confused me in the original it was like okay we know where all the puppies are you go, Tibbs, the smallest one, <laughs> while we all just wait back for you at the farm and drink tea or something. I don't know. So I liked that the the setup was there to be awesome in the remake. You had all yeah. these animals, and they were all going to help. And it was, oh, wow, it's really impressive because, again, we're not dealing with CGI here. These are all real animals until we get to the puppies sliding later. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but for the most part, you know, it's all real animals, and it's really impressive and fun to watch. And yeah. I really liked it. And that setup was awesome. And then I was let down in the biggest way possible. Sure. Well, I, I, I will say this. I definitely like, love the animal acting in the film. I actually very much prefer, especially as you, as we're kind of starting to see here, towards the end, like, the animals have done no wrong <laughs> throughout the film when it comes to acting. And their ability to portray the events is impressive. They're a great job by a director. I would prefer that over like the Jeff Daniels scenes. I prefer it over this Home Alone stuff. The way that they filmed the animals and drove a story with that 
was so impressive that it's such a letdown when like the human characters are like not pulling their own weight unfortunately yeah even the scene um, when the dogs um when the pups are first kidnapped you know you just see purdy and pongo in the live action remake you just see them come in and you know it's not a scene that wouldn't need dialogue if you even if humans filmed it and then just the way the dogs were just you know they walked into the room just so slow and just looked so sad at the empty bed it i liked it 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 hit me it hit my heart i was just like wow this is this is a touching scene between these dogs they're the best thing about this movie all these animals that i that i agree with you on that is the best thing about the the film the the animal actors as as it were were the strongest strongest part of that film electrocute their nuts on fence (laughs) seriously like did they have to electrocute their nuts on the fence i mean again (laughs) it sounds like i'm being a dead horse here but man you're having these stupid gags happen to these bad criminals these badass criminals yeah and then you just turn them into these second-rate cartoon characters who electrocute their nuts on an electric fence it's like come on and then they fly off of it like you know that wouldn't happen they would just elect be electrocuted and die come on man yeah even um ah damn even like the skinner or whatever his name was like uh who's this badass character and he's reduced in the same way and you know by the end after all these cartoonish things have happened and all these bad characters are being locked up it's still going with (laughs) we're still in home alone phase it's like oh man a skunk oh, a oh skunk. boy and it's Let like us... oh jeez sorry yeah. go ahead did you finish uh no yeah i mean i'm pretty much finished it's just like you guys got skunked in the back of a police van that's okay that's how we're ending <laughs> all our villains in this movie with the skunk in the back of a police van but going back to that skinner character i thought he was a really cool inclusion in the movie he's this silent guy with a huge scar on his lip doesn't he obviously doesn't say anything, um, and he's the one that skins the dogs. And I like that inclusion because I wasn't so confident that uh, the original horse and Jasper could do it in the cartoon. I'm like, these are criminals. I don't know if they know how to skin dogs. So I know I shouldn't be rooting for them, but I was a little concerned that if they did succeed in their plan that the skinning of the animals would go poorly. So you have this guy that's an expert in that. And I thought, oh, that makes sense. And he's really cool, and he's pretty badass too. Yeah, and he's, like you said, just another cartoon character in the end. Yeah, he's like this ominous figure. Like even the villains are afraid of him. Um, he clearly has like some sort of dark past and hell, a, a dark present because he <laughs> is willing to you know um, do dirty deeds uh, for uh, for money. You know, um, he'll call and, you on the phone and tap on it like in morse code that was so cool right that was really cool he was such a cool everything was set up so well in this movie yeah they had it they just had to get it across the line and they i don't know if it was notes if (laughs) if someone said hey we just didn't test well with the kids we need we need to add more of that because i mean you at the time um i mean a lot of a lot of films for kids were doing that type of uh that type of stuff. Like uh, you have films like this, like you mentioned home alone. Uh, I watched like mousetrap recently. Um, <laughs> oh, mousetrap. I like that movie. <laughs> I do like that movie, you know, but like there's a lot of films where there's like people are getting beat up like Looney Tunes characters 
um, yeah. ad nauseum in film. Like Three Ninjas um, did it too. It just didn't, like you mentioned, it just didn't fit this particular format. No, not at all. <laughs> Especially when yeah. you have such good source material. All you had to do was build. You didn't have to rip apart and destroy and add this new thing. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah and it's like there were choices that were made that uh that were nice and they were a good setup. Like like we mentioned Skinner. Like um boy, if if they would have really stuck with that, that could have been interesting, you know. It mm-hmm. could have been like a like the sub boss type of character <laughs> um, in the film and that that doesn't really um materialize. They really dropped the ball with that, with a lot of these characters. Yeah. Unfortunate. Let's see. Yeah, what else can we talk about? I mean, I know I'm ripping apart the remake right now, but there are things that I did like that they included, you know. Obviously not the Home Alone stuff, but, like, there was the inclusion of, like, the scene where all the puppies get their collars. I thought that was a nice little beat. Because you don't get a moment like that in the original. All of a sudden, you know, Purdy's Purdy's just pregnant and all of a sudden all the puppies are born. You don't get this moment to, like, kind of let it sink in who they are and give them each, like, a different collar. You don't get all 15 a different collar, but at least we had, you know, at least a little introduction. And so I know who these puppies are and I I care about them a little more. I feel like that introduction, yeah, just made me care a little bit more about the puppies, at least initially. Um, and I thought that was a great inclusion. Yeah, I, th- I think that is a good inclusion because in the other film, you know, the dogs have traits and, you, you know, you sort of pick up on them as they, uh, they're they kind of just throwing each other's names around while watching TV. But this, um, you're right, it's another chance for the humans to interact with the dogs. It's, uh, it's more of like a warm moment there. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of, like, the wizard joke, but I was like, all right, I got it. Like... <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I, I'll take it, take the good with the bad. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a strong scene that, you know, these moments like that where, where the movie shone. Right, exactly. I wish it had more moments like that, but it didn't. But there was another um, sort of inclusion in the remake that I appreciated, and that's just the involvement of the police in general. In the original, there's no police. Roger and Anita they sort of drop out of the film after the puppies get kidnapped. But at least in the remake, they're shown just like calling the police, you know, even sort of searching with the police. Yeah. And then the police are the ones that ultimately return the dogs home. And I, I don't know. I just appreciated that. Cause I was missing like Roger and Anita in the original, the whole time the puppies were away. I was like, well, what are they doing? Are they doing anything? And you don't get anything from them. And I understand it's like, you know, it's an animated movie and, only so much you want to animate, but you know, I, I like seeing Roger and Anita just trying to find them doing something themselves instead of just like, okay, I'm sure Pongo and Purdy will figure it out. Yeah. They, they just kind of, like you said, they just kind of drop out and, um, it, it makes more sense that they're so actively involved, um, throughout the film. And it's, it was a smart call to actually show that. Um, yeah, the original, yeah. Okay. We went to Scotland Yard, we got nothing. And then, no more dogs go missing, and we don't. You're right; we don't see them again until, until the uh, dogs really come back. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I'm looking at my notes. It looks like I might have gone over everything. I think we, I think we kind of hit um everything we needed to. Um, I don't know if we want to 
break um, sort of break down like our final impressions or if there's anything else we want to fill that out with. But I, I mean, just looking at the notes, in terms oh, of like the, I guess the one thing is the music. Maybe we can talk a little bit more yeah. about that. Yeah, that's a good idea. So I guess we've almost talked about everything, but one thing we didn't talk about was. Well, we didn't talk too much about, at least, was the music. We had mentioned that Roger was a musician, and he wrote two songs, uh, the Cruella de Vil and Dalmatian Plantation in the original. But we don't really get those songs in the remake. I think I might have heard a little bit of the Cruella de Vil melody in the remake. Did you hear it at all? I, yeah, I believe that they do um, They do mess with the melody uh, a bit. Um, it's, it's background, though. You're not getting... Yeah getting it the same way you have in that first film. Um, and then, I, I really like that. Sequ- I really like the sequence in the first film where, uh, as you're getting introduced to Corella and Rogers writing the song. And like, like you mentioned, it didn't have the lyrics yet, but it, it showed some of Rogers character. Yeah. Uh, and his own sort of toughness when this woman comes about who he doesn't like, and he sort of lets it be known and he's writing the songs and it built out his character a bit. And, um, I appreciate that in the original film. Yeah, I really like that about him in the original. When she's over, she's trying to, or Anita's trying to at least talk to Cruella, and then he's just upstairs writing the song, playing as loud as he can to ruin their conversation because he hates Cruella so much. He's blowing the trombone directly down. <laughs> he's he's being a dick on purpose. I love yeah. it. I really like that because you know you think, oh, okay, this is our one of our good guys. He's just gonna be really polite. No, he's. He doesn't like you, and he's going to let you know. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that really gave his character a lot of depth. So I really liked his character, and I was, like I said, they, he kind of drops out when the puppies are kidnapped, and I was hoping I would get a little bit more of him. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, then you have the, uh, you got Michael Kamen's score and the remake, and it's this kind of light, up-tempo, very whimsical score. A type of score you might expect in a Home Alone movie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, there's a lot of situations where if there wasn't that music playing, it would be terrifying. Like when Pongo's pulling Roger down the stairs on the bicycle. Like, I'd be scared shitless oh, <laughs> if okay. I was going downstairs. But then the movie, you got the music playing, and it's, oh, it's fun, it's light. But no, this is this is scary. I could die, I could hurt somebody. This is a very dangerous situation. Damn yeah, you, by, your music. hit by a car, you know? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of times where uh, the music <laughs> makes everything a lot lighter than it should be. Especially in the last half. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you're getting electrocuted. <laughs> <laughs> you want some nice light music to be played. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I definitely, just in general, I like that Roger's a musician, and I liked those songs in the beginning and the end of the movie, and kind of wish we heard some of the actual like lyrics or like just heard it maybe on the radio or something. I don't know, in the remake. Yeah, that would have been nice. Um, we'll say, you know, the music in the original uh, because the original songs they had lyrics that were more memorable, but the music was a big part of the um, the remake because you have so many sequences where you don't have uh, like humans acting or you know doing voice work. Uh, the music's helping sort of drive along, like you mentioned, tone things of that nature. I tend to be a little less in tune with music than you are because uh, I know you have the musical uh, background. But, um, you know, I appreciate it. I just, nothing really 
stuck out to me per se, but you know that the music was important for a lot of the stuff to even make sense, as you mentioned with that uh, bike sequence, which could have been completely terrifying by <laughs> sort of framing what's going on. I appreciate it. Unfortunately, that old school Disney like uh, music, you can't beat these iconic songs. They, they, uh, they've lasted the test of time. Nah, they definitely they're definitely good. I mean, Dalmatian Plantation, I can do without it. Yeah, that one's Cruella okay. Bill, <laughs> Cruella Deville is classic. Um, I get your point though. I get it was really useful. Michael came and score like those long scenes with just the dogs kind of barking during the Twilight bark, because um, <laughs> how else are you gonna know what's happening? And I guess emotionally uh, with the story, or like, is the Twilight bark working at all? You know, the music helps you and lets you know that oh yeah, this is working and the animals are communicating and being helpful. So music definitely plays a big part there in the remake. Yeah. I think we hit a lot of the notes that I wanted to hit. You know, the films are similar. You know, there's big difference in terms of how they're filmed, um, their approach to the way that the animals communicate in either film. I think we, we talked about a lot of the strengths of the films and definitely some of the weaknesses in the remake when it comes to characters who's, you know, they start off so strong. It's like, oh, all right, I think we're going to get across the finish line and then they just kind of peter out towards the end and uh it's unfortunate because you you had like you mentioned these strong introductions that just kind of uh they get sort of destroyed um with a weird tonal shift yes it was a complete tonal shift it was a complete 180 and i don't know (laughs) about most people but for me it didn't work (laughs) but um maybe i'm getting a little ahead of myself reggie (laughs) let's get to the final verdict here should the remake of 101 Dalmatians exist? What do you think? You know, given the amount of time that passed between both films, and the fact that we went with a live-action film uh, instead of, like, another animation, and it actually sort of revived and sparked interest in that franchise, there's some glaring issues that happened there. I, I don't know why Jeff Daniels is the main guy. I I can see where you're going with like Glenn Close maybe going a little too too heavy in her uh, her her evil. There's parts of the movie I don't like, but I think what they were able to do with the the dogs and you know the other animals in the film and the way that they were able to really portray a major um, film with mostly animals, I, I I was really impressed. So I'm glad that it exists. It's not my favorite, you know, um, but. I think it, it should exist. It was a good enough movie for that. So when I was watching the original, I do this a lot. I say, what can the remake do to justify its existence? And two main things hit me, I guess. I was really curious to see how the live action remake could make the movie without actually having the animals talk or have any voiceovers. In that regard, I think the remake succeeded. Like we said, the animals are the best part of the film. They're just what they were able to do with these live action animals and just before the age of CGI took over everything, it's really an impressive feat, and they're absolutely the best part of the film. That was my number one thing. Number two was I was hoping to get a little bit more out of my human characters. Roger and Cruella were my favorite characters from the original, and I didn't think they had enough screen time, so I was hoping that the live-action remake could expand their parts. It did. And what they did with it, I absolutely hated. (laughs) I did not like Jeff Daniels' portrayal. Um, it was just so flat for me. It didn't. He didn't bring anything to it. He didn't. 
There's nothing endearing about his character like the original Roger was. I, and maybe it's just because <laughs> he's not a musician anymore. But like, I honestly felt like he just didn't have anything that I wanted to see. And the love story between him and Anita just felt so weak. The relationship between him and Pongo felt even weaker. I didn't like it. And then we have Cruella, <laughs> who I've already said I just thought was a Batman villain in a 100 Dalmatians film. I liked her setup. I liked it so much, and I was rooting for her so much. I was willing to look over a few of the early laughs in the beginning, but then she just kept hitting the same notes over and over again, and I finally got, just got tired of it and then ultimately had enough of it and was just done with it. So the, move, the remake failed for me there. So one good point for the animals, one negative point for the drawing out the humans more. And then we have the tiebreaker, <laughs> which is when it became Home Alone 3. That was the moment I turned on the remake and I said, this is absolute garbage. You can't do that. You can't just add a Home Alone ripoff in the middle of this remake. And I, I hated it so much. I hated every second of it. I couldn't believe what they did to all these characters. Every character had such a good setup. And then you just turn it into this stupid spoof of this movie that came out years ago just because you wrote it. I mean, it was horrible. And I was just... I don't know, I was just pulling my hair out. Just I couldn't believe what they were doing. It it didn't make sense in this movie. It didn't make sense in this universe. And like I said, you keep basing this thing in reality. You make it live action. You have the animals not talk. And then you make it then you flip it and you have these most the most cartoony situation you can possibly have. It just took me out of the film. It took me I was on the fence. I was on the fence. I was like, okay, this isn't a great remake, but I, I still like it because the animals are really cool. And then you made Home Alone 3. And then I was like, okay, this is it. This is garbage. I hate this. This should not exist. So for me, it is a no. They should not have made the remake like this. And that last half hour just ruined everything. I had so much goodwill towards this because they like the animals so much. And it's an amazing feat. And it should be, I don't know, I feel like it should be, you know, honored or lauded or just praised what they did with these animals. But you ruined the movie at the end. <laughs> and you took me out of it and you changed my opinion. So... No, this is a bad remake. It should not exist. So I guess we're not watching 102 Dalmatians? <laughs> Don't get me that for my birthday. <laughs> Something tells me by that point, they probably got way heavier in the CGI too. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's one of those remakes where uh, maybe Sign of the Times, you know, that maybe that particular style of film was just uh, too easy to slap on in pretty much any property or franchise. Because like we mentioned things like Mousetrap, uh, you mentioned like Home Alone and the fact that that series had so much success. It, it was like, all right, we took a film that was doing its own thing and then tried to make it like those films. But the way they had set it up, did, it just didn't make sense to go that cartoonish. I still fall in that camp of because the animal work, I, I'll allow it because um, there's enough good things happening early that uh, by the end, I, I, hey, I fade out as well. But um they they had still built up enough goodwill with me to um, for me to think that it should exist. Um, but I think that we can all share our, our hatred of uh, Jeff Daniels, uh, Roger. And towards the end, I mean, I, I even forget. Like, I guess he sold his video game. I don't even know. Like, who who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just by doing what they did by making it Home Alone, they made it a completely different movie. I didn't realize that's the movie I was watching. So I felt like I just got like the sense of betrayal 
Like the whole time I thought I was watching a certain type of movie here with this heavy handed subject about, you know, kidnapping dogs, you know, skinning them, you know, some serious shit we're talking about here. And then you just make it the slapstick comedy. And yeah. oh, especially since you have such good source material, which didn't do that. You don't have to add that garbage to tell this yeah. story. You can go deeper than the original did. And they had such a good setup. All the characters were set up so well. And I just can't believe the direction they actually went. I, it, I'm, I'm yeah. speechless. I don't know what yeah. to say. I'm, my mind is <laughs> baffled, man. I, who, they dropped the ball so bad. Usually the inclusion of something negative doesn't just ruin an experience for me. But the inclusion of this just completely ruined it. I don't know what to say. Yeah, no, I can see that. I think you're right. Like this setup, because when I was first watching it, I was like, does the, the devil wears Prada just like rip under <laughs> yeah. one Dalmatian? Oh, I like, can see that. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's like, holy shit. Like, and you're right. You're like, you're expecting like a kind of, you know, I mean, it's still for children, but like a kind of serious film. And you're right. It, it devolves. It, there's no question about that. I, I can't defend that side of the film. This is one of those rare times or maybe not so rare. Who knows um, where we slightly diverge. You, you're bringing me close to your side, but I'm going <laughs> to stick to my guns. I think they did. They do enough in it. Honestly, for kids, it probably just kind of worked, you know? It kind of um, worked. They can watch the original, though. I think the kids will get a oh, lot dude, more out of the original. I, yeah, no. <laughs> if, if I had to choose, I would I would always watch the, uh, the original over it. Um, I just like what they did with that film. I've seen it more. In the Glenn Close performance, there's, there's elements of it that I really like. Um, but yeah, toward, towards the end, the movie movie does get rough to watch. It does. It does. I mean, I like I said, I love the animals part. And I, I was trying to ride that goodwill out, but I couldn't. <laughs> it's just, it got that bad for me. <laughs> Wait, that's, uh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, if they did yeah. a remake of this, they'd probably do like a CGI one, like, Oh, Pixar totally or something. Did. Can I just say I also missed the traditional hand-drawn animation because it was it was awesome. Beautiful. The original, it, it just looks so gorgeous. Beautifully done, and you know, um, because it's that old style, I like what they do with the backgrounds. Where it actually, in a weird way, it does feel kind of like improv, like jazzy to an extent. Like they uh, certain things aren't always like within the lines when it comes to, like the color palette and stuff like that. And um, I think it was a nice backdrop to those beautiful hand hand-drawn animations of the main characters, you know, those dogs and um, Roger and Anita. I just love the character design. Yeah. They're, well they're, said. Yep. All right. Well, uh, do you have anything else? <laughs> 101 out of 10 uh, pups? I don't know. I I, um, I think the original, to me, is just such a, such a great film. Um, the remake, okay, you know, it happened. Love what they did with the animals, and I think we've said that enough. I'm glad that we watched it, but yeah, there's there's some there's some rough patches. Yeah, but... I'm glad we watched it too. It's the first live action adaptation of a Disney animation. It's the very first one, and today they're you know there's one coming out every month, so yeah, it's kind of about... good to see where they started, I suppose. Yeah, the timing is actually interesting because uh, this is the same week that Lion King is coming out. Yeah, um, in theaters, so. There's a, this set the precedent. And Lion King not getting that many good reviews. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> Should they keep doing this? Well, I guess if you, if they keep, well, they making, keep making money. money. Yeah, I know, right? It comes down if they keep making money. The remake made a lot of money. So uh, yeah, man. that's why there was 102 Dalmatians. <laughs> no, there was 102 Dalmatians. They, like, they rebooted. Disney had like a television series with uh, 101 Dalmatians after this. Like They really started wow. milking this franchise. And I'm sure that this uh, set it all off. So although we may not have loved it, um, enough people did that it sort of relaunched the franchise. Yeah, well, that's what Disney do. They milk a property for all it's worth, man. <laughs> yep, yep. And acquire other properties to continue to milk. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. To, <laughs> can't wait to. They ruined my X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, man. Um, I guess should we uh, pick a film for next time? Oh, true, yeah. What should we do? Any any thoughts on that? See, we went we went pretty um pretty whimsical here. Um, <laughs> then we have some something a little bit darker on the list. Wasn't there some horror stuff that we can kind of get into? You want to start a horror one? We can do a horror. Yeah, one. why not? Yeah, we haven't done one yet. I think that'd be uh, interesting. What, what did we have? Amityville or was it something else? Yeah, we could do that one. Isn't Ryan Reynolds in the remake? Is he? Oh, Deadpool. <laughs> So okay. you're probably wondering why I'm trying to kill my family with an axe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm typically not really big on horror films. I'm uh, kind of a softy, but um, yeah, we'll see. I- I'm interested in-, in doing a comparison. Okay, so we had different opinions about 101 yeah. Dalmatians. What did you guys think? Who-, who do you side more with? Do you side with Reggie that it should exist, or do you side with me that maybe they just should have passed on this? So let us know. And uh, <laughs> one of us will eat our hats. <laughs> oh, man. Do you have a hat you can eat? <laughs> Can't wait. Maybe like a puppy skin hat. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm interested to see where the uh, the listeners or the fans, as, as they were, are on this and uh, whose team they're on. Yeah. It's a big good one. Because <laughs> I'm sure so, a lot of people have nostalgia for this. Because, uh, you know, they're probably a lot of them probably saw it as kids. I did not see this until I was an adult, so that could that could be a factor here. Yeah, so we'd be interested to hear what you have to say. If there's anything that we missed, definitely let us know. And our next episode is going to be the Amityville Horror. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Retro versus Remake. Um, I'm Reggie Parker, and I'm Dan Bulick. Uh, thanks for listening. Catch those puppies! <laughs> oh God. I'm Reggie Parker. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at RP Comedy, or you check out my website, rpcomedy.com. I'm Dan Bulick. You could find me on Twitter at Console Wars Guys, Facebook, Console Wars Guys, or pretty sure there's an Instagram for Console Wars Guys, too. And also check out the uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Console Wars. Well, thanks for listening. Have a good one. Later. Later.